Hi, everyone. Just wanted to let you know right at the top here that we did have a few technical issues with this episode. Uh, it is totally listenable. Uh, everything is audible, but Monica's audio track is not as crisp as we would like it. Uh, we have since corrected the problem, but this will be the case for a couple episodes. Again, really no problem in understanding what she's saying or the conversation. It just doesn't sound quite as good as we like to make it. Anyway, uh, hope you're doing well, staying safe, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Maybe Today Matinee, a podcast about all things film before you were born. I'm Monica. I'm David. This month we're watching romance films, and today we're talking about Bimal Roy's 1955 film, Devdas. and Parvati, or Padal, are childhood friends and neighbors in a rural town in Bengal. After repeatedly getting into trouble, Devdas's well-to-do family sends him off to school in Calcutta, though he promises Padol he'll return for visits on holidays. The years pass, and finally Devdas returns as an adult. Padol greets him shyly, and the two are as in love as ever. Padol's grandmother suggests to her mother that she seek Devdas's family's permission for Padol and Devdas to be wed, but Devdas's family declines saying that Pado is of a lower caste and not a suitable mate. Pado visits Devdas in the night to tell him her feelings, risking her honor. Devdas asks his family to reconsider their decision, but they stand firm, and he escapes to Calcutta again in anguish. Once in Calcutta, he writes a letter to Pado saying that he doesn't love her and that they should just be friends. He regrets the letter almost as soon as he has sent it and rushes to his hometown again, to try to catch the letter before it arrives. Pado has already seen it and is unforgiving of Devdas's explanations to the contrary. Pado is married off to an older widower who is even wealthier than Devdas's family. Devdas returns to Calcutta where he spends his days in the company of Chunilal, a drunkard who introduces him to Chandramukhi, a local courtesan. Chandramukhi falls in love with Devdas after he offers her money while refusing her services and even though he expresses disdain for women in her profession. Pado, meanwhile, has ingratiated herself to her new family and the peasants in the village. She spends her days living simply and refusing to wear the nicer clothes and jewelry suitable to a woman of her wealth, all the while pining away for Devdas. Devdas's father dies suddenly, and Pado and Devdas encounter each other in their childhood village when they arrive for the funeral. He asks only if she can find him a wife like herself. Though both Pado and Devdas make periodic visits to their childhood village afterward, they never encounter each other again. In the wake of the father's death, Devdas's family loses their estate, and Devdas will go on to eventually fritter away his inheritance on entertainment in Calcutta. After a long absence, Devdas finds Chandramukhi again, who has sold the furnishings in the brothel and has been waiting for his return. In her love for Devdas, Chandramukhi sees the love that Pado has for him. Devdas has, of course, been pining away for Pado the whole time he's spent at the brothel. One day, Devdas confesses his feelings for Chandramukhi, but no sooner can she bask in his love than he falls ill. The doctor tells him to lay off the sauce and take a trip somewhere. Devdas and Taramdas, his manservant, who is always at his side, hop on a train and travel all over India. Devdas is avoiding alcohol and taking his medicine, but one day, by chance, Chunilal gets on the same train car and pulls out a bottle of liquor. Though Chunilal gets off at the next stop, Devdas continues to drink and in his drunken haze realizes he had made a promise to Pado to meet her before his death. He alights from the train and a driver takes him overnight to Pado's village. Upon arrival, Devdas is nearly dead. In the night, Pado has a vision of Devdas calling to her. The following morning, villagers crowd around a sick traveler just outside Pado's family's mansion. She realizes the traveler is Devdas and races to meet him, only to have the guards close the gates on her before she can get out. 
So, David, this is your first time seeing Dave Doss, the 1955 movie. What was your overall impression? Um, so I'm sure a lot of our conversation will involve comparisons to the um, the 2002 Shah Rukh Khan film, uh, Dev Das, which I had seen um, with you several years before this. Uh, so I don't know that I can really fairly evaluate this film uh, just from a single watch. I liked it a lot. I liked a lot of what it was doing, but kind of because of the impulse to to compare, I don't know that I really gave it a, a fair shot. Right. And we are definitely going to come back to that later, but I am going to try to dedicate the beginning of this podcast, at least to just looking at this movie on its own. So let's kind of get into it. So this film is one of more than 20 that are based on uh, the Devdas novella by Sarat Chandra Chattopadhyay, who was an author in Bengal, and he wrote a lot about Bengali social uh, norms in the early 20th century. And this novella came out in 1917. This story is well known throughout South Asia. Pretty much everybody knows it, even if they haven't read the story. And like I said, there have been at least 20 adaptations in many, many different languages, some of them sticking pretty close to the plot, others, they, they'll like put them in a modern setting. But at any rate, the story has basically been, it's, it's a classic, so it's been repeated again and again. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Bengal, which again is the region of what was then British India, where the story is based. That corner of the subcontinent has long been a literary center. So if you know Rabindranath Tagore, so who's noted poet and musician and overall Renaissance man, he was Bengali. And also, since this is a film podcast, I might reference the, the Apu trilogy, which is directed by Satyajit Rai, who was Bengali and based on two novels by the Bengali author Bibhuti Bhushan Bandopadai. So there's all kinds of stuff coming out of Bengal. So let's talk a little, about, a little bit about Bimal Roy, who is the director of this film. So he had actually been the cinematographer on the 1935 Hindi version of the movie. So 20 years later, he directs another version. Um, he was a director of films in both Hindi and Bengali. He was influenced a lot by Italian neorealism. Among his other well-known movies are Madhumati, which also featured Dilip Kumar and Vijayan Timala from this film. Um, another film from his filmography that I thought looked interesting is called Yehudi, which had to do with the persecution of Jews in the Roman Empire. Um, that's something I'm really interested in seeing, because I just think it's, it's such an interesting topic to see from a non, uh, non-Western perspective. And that, that story is, based, is a popular story in Parsi Urdu theater in South Asia. What stood out to you about the director's work in this film? He, as you had mentioned, he had previously worked as a cinematographer, and I think you can very clearly see that in this film. A lot of, I think the lighting is really interesting, and there's a lot of really creative work done with shadow. Uh, and I, I think also if you watch the film kind of over the course of the, uh, you know, roughly two hours and 40 minutes, we kind of see the the lighting of the film go from brighter to like slowly darker and darker and darker until at the end when we're greeted with this this very dark sequence of Devdas as he's dying uh being being carried about on this train so i think i think his visual style is is incredibly distinctive and we we kind of run into a little bit of trouble with the with the autor theory here which is um Briefly, the idea that, that directors are the authors of a film. So I don't know how much to credit Roy versus, you know, the cinematographer editor that was working with him. But I think the editing is also very distinctive. Again, my mind keeps going back to that train sequence and we keep seeing the the cuts from from Devdas's face to the train wheels, I suppose, on the tracks. 
uh, and kind of the the cold machinery and the all the shadow work and it, it's it's this really interesting montage sequence uh, that I think is very very powerful. So let's get into the cast. We have our star Dilip Kumar, who, at least according to Wikipedia, is sometimes known as the first Khan. So if you follow. Uh, especially Bollywood, you'll know that there are a lot of people with the surname Khan. Dilip Kumar's real name was Muhammad Yusuf Khan. At the time that he started acting, it was pretty soon after partition, which of course was, you know, once the British Empire in India fell, the subcontinent was split into India and Pakistan. And so a lot of filmmakers were worried that the majority Hindu audiences would be suspicious of or just not like having like seeing Muslim actors. So Dilip Kumar being a Muslim with a Muslim sounding name, he and many other actors changed their names to Hindu sounding stage names. Okay, so full disclosure to the audience, this is the second time we're recording this. The first time we recorded it, David, I had asked you kind of what you thought about his approach to acting, which is according to all the sources I found meant to have been like really realistic and all that kind of thing but you were not super impressed with him um did you want to reiterate that or maybe um finesse your statement a little bit i don't want to say that i wasn't super impressed with him but i i think it's it's difficult because i really hated that character and i had a hard time really divining exactly how much I was supposed to hate his character, right? Because he's the title of the film is his name and the entire thing is basically his dramatic thrust. And I just, you know, he was just the worst person. Um, so I guess in that sense, I think Dilip Kumar did a really good job of making a character who was, who was contemptible if that was the goal, but as far as acting is concerned, I was more impressed uh, with the two female leads in the film. Let's talk about the, and we are going to come back to like the story and how we're supposed to perceive Dave Das and everything. So the first co-star was Suchitra Sen. Um, she plays Paro, and she, this was, uh, as far as I could tell, kind of her breakout role. But actually, her, her career in Hindi film besides this movie, was pretty limited, and she found a lot more success in Bengali film. What did you find impressive about her performance? I was really, like the entire time, as I had mentioned, I was really over Dev Das, but I, I guess part of the reason I was so angry at him is because watching her performance as Paro, like, I felt terrible for her the entire time. Like, this woman who has nothing but good intentions and is just like constantly crushed throughout the progress of the film. I think she did a really, a really good job of making me like feel that. Yeah. I, I mean, the women in this film are in every way superior. I gotta say. <laughs> um, also, uh, cause I don't have like a dedicated section on like fashion or anything in, uh, for this movie, but I just want to say her eyebrows were on fleek. Is that what the kids say? You got to see your eyebrows; they're phenomenal. I don't. I don't think the kids say that anymore. But uh, they what? don't say that. Is that was that like three years ago? Well, anyway, her like, her eyebrows are incredibly cool. A, a fair metric is that if either one of us is saying it, the kids are not saying it anymore. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, what? Um, I'm sorry. Real quick, what I didn't notice what was uh, what was so spectacular about her eyebrows. Her eyebrows were just incredibly arched and incredibly just very, very precisely shaped. And she looked like, so So I think I told you after I watched this version of the movie, I then went and watched the 2001, uh, the 2002 version. And at the beginning of that movie in the credits, they have uh, the backdrop of the credits are like these old paintings from I don't know when in Indian history, the way that the the people in those paintings, the way their faces are painted, their eyebrows made me think of her eyebrows. So they just look like painterly eyebrows. Very like classical kind of. Kind of. And you got you got to put an effort to get eyebrows like those. Those are not natural. Okay, then we have Vijayanti Mala, who plays Chandramukhi, the courtesan, of course. So I just want to back up a little bit, just kind of as an interesting point about 
films in South Asia is that you you always have like a lot of people working on films who are from all different parts of the country, which of course is like the like that happens in Hollywood too. But it's kind of interesting in India because a lot of times the people who are working they like there's so much ethnic diversity in all different parts of the subcontinent that the people who come together to work on Hindi films, uh, their first language might not be Hindi. Like they might speak another language or come from like a d- kind of different culture. So. Uh, like Suchitra Sen, she was Bengali, right? Uh, Dilip Kumar was actually born in Peshawar, which by the time this film came out was in Pakistan, right? And he was one of a, a lot of people living in what is now Pakistan who kind of crossed the border, the new border into India. And Vijayanth Mala, she is from South India. She's from Madras, which is now called Chennai. And she was one of the first South Indian actors to kind of make it big up north in the Hindi film industry. The Hindi film industry, I think then, as now, uh, the the one that's based in Mumbai is kind of like the biggest and fanciest film industry. So people tend to try to make it big there. Although, especially at the time, the cinema of Bengal was considered the most kind of sophisticated and artistic and uh, that's where, like, the Apu trilogy came from and everything. Vijayantimala, she, I think this was her first big uh, Hindi movie. And she's credited as at least one of the people who brought classical dance to Bollywood. So we're familiar with a lot of actresses over the years who have training in, like, uh, Kathak or Bharatanatyam or one of these different uh, classical dances. And I kind of feel like that's abating or has been abating for like the last 10 years. And there's like a lot of actors who can't dance anymore. But anyway, she kind of she kind of was one of the first people to bring that to Bollywood. And so she's featured, obviously, several times dancing in this movie. So, well, OK, so I guess I kind of want to ask you, how did you feel about her performance? And also, she was not the first choice for this role. And do you have any guesses why not? I thought she did. I thought she did very well. I think one of my problems with the film, I don't know that it's so much a problem, but I think I think that she and Paro inhabit a very similar emotional space for this film. Because in many ways, the you know the alternate title could be like Devdas and the horrible things he does to the women around him. Uh, a lot of the stuff with her character, a lot of it is, and she does this very well. But it's like, oh god, like you are kind of stuck on this this man that is just terrible. And I'm so sorry that like that's kind of what you're going through. And I think she sells that very well. Um, I think her, I'm obviously no expert. I thought her her dancing was impressive, but I guess one of the elements that kind of surprised me about the film was it felt like there wasn't actually that much focus on the dancing. Like I had kind of expected more elaborate dance sequences and we didn't really get that as much. Right. Um, and I think that's just, that's probably a, and I don't know, I could research it, but I haven't, but that's just something that would change over the years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially I think maybe as they got better technology for being able to film and something also that you see in a lot of later films is a lot of group dancing, but classical dance is, was actually not done in groups. It was always like a solo performance and it wasn't until later that people started to do it in groups because it looked cool. So I would think that since this was kind of the earlier, they kind of stuck to that typical format. Right. I should um, I should add an addendum and say that this is uh, I'm coming into this film with kind of basically my only other experience with Indian film being uh, Bollywood films from like the early mid 2000s i suppose um i guess i've seen one or two from the 80s but mostly like pretty recent stuff so i i don't i guess i don't really know what the conventions here are yeah and to be fair too like as we will do talk about more later when we compare this to the 2002 movie this movie was much more realistic in terms of being close to the 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 settings in the novella so in real life you know, if you would have gone to a brothel in the early 20th century, it probably would have looked like that. Like, it's a small space. You got just enough space for, like, one lady to dance around and have your musicians in a corner and then the observers in another corner, right? Um, So it's realistic. You don't have room for, like, 10 people, you know? 
as a side note, when he first goes there and he's talking about how much of a hellhole it is, I was sitting there in my tiny apartment thinking, like, I'd like to live there. That seems nice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So I, I was going to talk about why she wasn't the first choice. They thought, and I agree, that she was too young for the role. So she was actually, she was early 20s in this movie. She was younger than Suchitra Sen. And the role was supposed to be for a little bit older woman. So again, in the 2002 movie, Madhuri Dixit, who plays that role, she is older. Um, I think she was maybe 35 when she made the movie. And that just makes so much more sense. You're expecting that kind of contrast where Paro is like the young, kind of naive, like the ingenue, right? Who gets married off to this old rich guy. And then the courtesan is like kind of the worldly, more mature. She's supposed to be a different character, but Bijay and Kimala is so young, she's also a baby, you know? So they just kind of look like two two babies who need to lift their standards about men like off the actual ground. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very interesting. I'm I'm glad you said that. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that in the 2002 version, but that makes way more sense. That that makes it kind of the dynamic between the trio actually like have have kind of a dramatic um uh, dramatic tension to it as opposed like like you were saying they kind of wind up being two very similar figures. So uh, let's talk about production. So you, you kind of got into this earlier when you were talking about Bimal Roy's approach to directing this film. I, because, because of your influence, I've been paying a lot more attention to these things. So I looked at, I thought there were a lot of interesting uh, scene transitions. So, for example, uh, when we transition from when Pado and Devdas are kids to when they're adults, Pado is like taking the, the jug to go get water from the river, I guess. And then she gets down to the river and you see like the water kind of push out from her and the camera pans over the water to like a lily pad. And then the lily pad blooms, the lily, the, the, the flower, it blooms. And then it comes back to her and she's an adult. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that shot was exquisite. I was actually really surprised by it because I don't think up to that point in the film there, there hadn't really been that kind of focus as much on on nature and and that kind of um we talked about in this podcast before but manipulation of time and I, I I think that was that was really impressive and also the kind of the idea of having Paro because I believe her mother tells her to go get the water right if my memory is correct she's told to go get the water she puts the her her water pail into that river and then like you were saying we see the ripples and then we come through come back and it's in the future and so the ripples as being kind of a, a representation of time and effect right so she put her pail in and the rest of the water is affected and she did that because her mother told her to so we have this this kind of piling on of the idea of 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 norms and like cultural values dictating what's going to happen to these characters over their lives Another transition I thought was interesting is once once Pato's an adult and she's already married to the old man and he's a really nice old man actually, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, she she she's in his house and he's asking her like why don't you wear like the nice jewelry that I bought for you and he's like you live like an ascetic and you know we have all this money why don't you like dress yourself better and all these things it switches from that scene where she's declining the jewelry. And then the next scene, you see jewelry in a little box, and Chandramukhi is putting it on. She's at the brothel, right? And she turns around. She puts it on, and she turns around, and she talks to, I believe it's one of the other courtesans, and she talks about how this jewelry that she's wearing is not, um, it's not fine jewelry. Like, it's costume jewelry, basically, as opposed to the fine jewelry, presumably, that Pato would have been wearing over in her mansion if she wanted to. You you kind of mentioned this earlier, but when he's on the train, as he begins to drink, when he's not supposed to, but he takes his first drink of alcohol, and we don't know how long, like quite a long time, the train speeds up. The, the tension is rising, and also he's racing towards his final destination, which is both Pato's house and his death, right? Right. A lot of the visuals in this film... Again, are are kind of continuing to enforce that idea of you know like the ripples in the river, this idea of of fate, 
and so I think what you know, what better example of that than a train on the tracks? Like this idea that Dev Das is at at this point, and he's going to die of his alcoholism, and that's just kind of how it was always going to be. A train can't go anywhere but where the track is laid. Right. As he's sitting on that train for that last leg of the trip, you also get a lot of flashback, right, to scenes that we've already seen in the movie from when he was a kid and on and on throughout his life, um, kind of reliving his life before he dies ultimately. Um, And then, of course, when he's lying on the ground dying and the villagers are all kind of crowded around him and, like, giving him the last rites, I believe. I think it's the only part in the movie where you have, like, a first-person view, Right, because it's like he's lying on the ground, and you can see the 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 faces of the villagers coming in and out of focus. So, I guess besides those, were there any other interesting effects that you saw? One thing I had noticed also was that uh, I'm not sure if this was the case for every single shot, but for a while, whenever we would get a transition to the interior of the brothel, there would be a cut to this uh, kind of an editing effect. Uh, But I think basically what they did is they had a a camera recording and they maybe spun it around and then like sped up that film. And so we'll be in a scene like outside of the brothel and then we're cutting to the interior of the brothel. And for, you know, a quarter of a second or whatever, we get this, this kind of really brief spinning camera motion. So it's relatively small thing and relatively subtle, but I kind of like that, that emphasis on the descent into vice and literally the, um, you know, like drunkenness when you get the spins, right? And that's, this is the area that he's going into, right? Like this is the, the part of his personality that he's indulging. Next, I wanted to talk about music because, as most people probably know, South Asian movies tend to feature it prominently um, as like a kind of standalone musical kind of situation. So the lyricist for the music in this film was Sai Lutianbi, and then the composer was Sachin Dev Berman, who did a whole lot of movies. It, this was kind of before the entry of much Western influence in Indian film. So even though the music wasn't strictly traditional, it was very much based on uh, traditional forms of music. So, for example, there's the Baal music, which is Bengali mystic minstrels. So if you remember, Pato, when she's a little girl, pays a whole lot of money to those musicians who sing to her. And then they come back and sing to her later when she's grown up. That's that. Uh, musical tradition and also we got to see the musical tradition of Tumri which is kind of what they played in the brothel which is associated with the Kathak dance which is basically what Vijayan Timala did in those scenes in Bollywood movies you you see the same singers over and over and over again that was the, the case back then it's the case now and to modern audiences you'll at least rec- recognize Lata Mangeshkar um, and her sister, Asha Bhosle, who both sang for this movie. Both of them are still alive. And also, Mohammed Rafi, he, he also sang on this film, as well as many, many others. Was there anything that stood out to you about the music? So I guess, uh, uh, first off, I'm incredibly ignorant about Indian music in general. Uh, so I'm very much out of my depth in talking about it. It's really remarkable. And I guess if um, if you don't know anything about Indian music, one of the interesting things it does as opposed to Western music is that they uh, they use uh, smaller intervals than a lot of Western music does. In Western music, we basically have whole steps and half steps, right? So you have A, the note A, which is followed. If you go a half step up from that, you get to B flat. If you get a whole step up from that, you get a B. Uh, in Indian music, there are intervals that are smaller um, than that. So you'll have a note that's somewhere between A and B flat. Uh, and so I think kind of coming coming into this from the outside, I think the music sounds incredibly distinctive and very emotional and kind of a a different and new way that's very exciting. So again, nothing specific to this film, but I think in kind of in in general abstract terms, I think a lot of the music that you'll hear in in Indian cinema is, is really interesting. 
Yes, and I uh, I forgot to mention also Talat Mehmood was a, a singer on a lot of the songs here. I guess this should go without saying, but in case the audience is unaware, unlike Hollywood movies where there have been to varying degrees pressure for the actors to actually be singing the songs as well, as far as I know, there's never been that kind of pressure in South Asian movies. It's well known that the actors don't sing the songs um, and the singers are also like I listed all these um, singers like they're all no, they're all celebrities in their own right. The singers from movies will go on tour and sing their songs from their movies. I think part of the push in Hollywood in the states for this idea that like the actors should be the ones singing the songs uh, is I think we have, we have this sense that it's somehow illegitimate if you are to kind of pantomime or, or lip sync someone else's uh someone else's song someone else's voice but i want to emphasize that for most of these movies they are lip singing anyway they're not going to use much of the kind of on set audio from the singing they're not actually going to use most of that in the soundtrack they're going to put a singer in a booth at a separate time and have them sing this song separately possibly before the film is made so in some way it's all kind of an illusion anyway uh, so I think I I just think that's kind of a, an absurd standard to have in general. No, totally. And like, don't don't you want the the people who are the best at acting to be acting, and the people who are the best at singing to be singing? Because that's how I feel. And I know we've discussed this before on other podcasts, but I'm not interested in seeing an actor sing just for the sake of it. The, the, the thing that's so great about Bollywood is that the singing is incredible. The singers are immensely talented. That I much prefer that to seeing like an actor trying to multitask, you know? 100%. Uh, we collectively as an audience rolled the dice to see if Russell Crowe could sing and he could not. It was terrible. Okay, so then what I wanted to do next is get into the story a little bit more. Um, so we kind of said we have a lot of problems with the character of Devdas. And um, something I, I've been telling myself is that, okay, I need to actually go read the novella to really understand this. But as far as I understand, this film, the 1955 adaptation of the story, is pretty close to what the novella was like. So I think it's pretty safe to say that his character is the way it's supposed to be. And in the beginning of the movie, when he's a kid, he's very, very spoiled. Um, and then something that he does, both when he's a child and as an adult, is that he hits Paro when he was a kid, just because, I don't know, he didn't, she didn't do something that he wanted her to do. He just hits her. And then later, he hits her when she's about to get married to the old guy. And that's to leave, like, a mark on her face so that she won't forget him. So there's physical abuse, right? And then there's also the emotional abuse. So we so we get the part where, like, when they're kids and he, he's really, really mean to Paddle. And, you, okay, maybe you could dismiss that as, like, whatever, they're kids and they'll grow out of it. But then later when, you know, their whole situation falls apart and they can't be together even though they love each other, he, he like, repeatedly blames her and says it's her fault. And then even when he's with uh, Chandramukhi, he's, all, he's, like, literally slut-shaming her, right? Like, he, he walks into the brothel and it's like, what is this place? This is horrible. Why do you live like this? Why, why don't you be a woman? And then, of course, she, like, falls for him. What are your, what are your thoughts on this movie and how it kind of tries to... Do you think it's trying to show love through abuse? And where can we see this in other stories or other films? Because it's definitely not just this one. So I had a lot of, like, I think as, as any any person would or should, uh, I had a lot of problems with this element of the film. I think um, just to add a couple of things, when they're children and he slaps her, later on when they kind of make up, it's about him forgiving her for not, I think she was supposed to bring him food or a drink or something. He forgives her and that's how they make up. This movie really is entirely about abuse. If we watch the movie as Defdas being kind of an almost sociopathic or at least narcissistic actor who just kind of does destruction because that's what he does. And we watch it with an eye towards the people who have to suffer because they love him, I think their plight 
becomes interesting. And I guess I use the word love, but I don't know that that's entirely appropriate. Again, especially given abuse, I don't think it's fair to, to characterize that as love, but I think that's, that's what the film at the very least is telling us. If I'm watching this with kind of an eye towards what the film is trying to tell me, I feel like a lot of it is kind of this idea of, of uh, romance and love being how you you kind of imprint upon someone. So we see that literally when he hits Paro and uh, leaves the, the scar that she carries with her for the rest of her life, right? This idea that like he as a presence, no matter what she does... Uh, he is always with her. And I think it's that that kind of that idea that like, oh, her true love is always, always exists with her. But it, I mean, it's an incredibly demented thing. And I think even in the film, he specifically tells her not to tell anyone, which I think when I saw that line, I was very confused by it because it's like, well, I don't wait. So is this not is this not socially acceptable for the context of the period that this film is about? And what does that, I guess, what does that mean for the rest of the film? I don't know. I, I, I had a lot of problems with this. This is very upsetting to me. Yeah. And I think, um, I may, I may have said it earlier, but I want to reiterate that the character of Dave Das, um, far beyond the novella itself has kind of become a, an archetype in South Asian culture, and it's not a good ar- archetype, right? It's a pitiable one, at the very least. And I don't think, I mean, certainly viewers of the time, I don't think the conventional perception would have been that this is abuse, because otherwise, who would watch a movie like that and, like, come away thinking, like, oh, this is like a a, a tragic romance, you know? That's got to be impacted by whatever the way of thinking was, right? And this is the case, of course, not just in India, but in most, probably most societies, right? There's been a progression in how we think of how people should treat each other um, and domestic abuse and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of, it's interesting talking about this with um, with this film in particular, because I think it, it again, ideally audience members should be able to come into this and see this as like, this is, you know, this is really grotesque. This isn't a love story. This is a story about a man who is horrible and kind of the, the people who suffer because of it. And in some ways, how it, how it is his own undoing. Right. Um, and even, even then I think, I think it's, it's a difficult watch. Uh, but I think we also need to keep in mind and not fall into a trap that we've talked about where we, we separate ourselves from something and say like, Oh yeah, well, you know, in 1955 gross, right. They were doing terrible things and like beating women. That was so gross. These ideas have not left us to kind of bring it to a more contemporary period. I think the the most recent like massive romance series that we've seen was the, the Twilight films. And I think first off, uh, these films get a lot of heat from a lot of people who talk about how, oh, it's just dumb and the vampires glitter and it's so whatever who cares and i don't i don't think that's good criticism uh i think it's very lazy and it doesn't engage with like why were these films why was the series incredibly popular uh but i am gonna go after it because i think and this is not a novel point but that that film is is also tremendously violent towards women in a in a different way right so we see the character of bella who in in some in some ways has been characterized as as being kind of like oh the the author uh Stephanie Meyer like oh she's kind of situating herself where like all the you know these two different like super hunky men are fighting over her and it's really it's really great and she's like the most important person in every single one of these films and it's it's fantastic but her complete absence of agency is it is so absolute she has no actual real role in the events of the film her her ability to do anything relies entirely on kind of the devotion of men to her and so i kind of i bring this up i know this is a very different period a very different kind of film but i bring this up to say that like how often have we ever gotten a romance film that is is not like 
incredibly misogynistic. I don't know that it's it's really productive to kind of compare and contrast about which one is more misogynistic or not, but I I think the important thing to remember is that it's like these these troubling elements are are with us today still, albeit in in different forms. Well, here's something that you see in Hollywood movies and Bollywood movies that's still super common is the convention of the man stalking the woman being flattering, right? The man who will not give up is the most romantic thing and not like scary behavior and intimidating behavior. That's something that's still, that's still as far as I know, is still a thing in movies today. I'm going to kind of segue into talking about the 2002 film. Okay, so which did you prefer? Did you for, prefer 1955 or 2002? I, I don't know that I can give a fair comparison, but 100% 2002. Okay, yeah, I would agree. Part of the reason, has for me at least, has to do with with the level of abuse, right? Because in uh, Sanjay Leela Pansali's film, there's still, like, Devda still hits Paro. He still debases Chandramukhi, but it's not to the degree that it is in this film. That's one thing that, for me, made a better viewing experience. He's still, like, a disgusting character in many ways, but I was able to buy into the love stories better in the 2002 movie because they toned that 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 part down. And they, they didn't even have the beginning where he's a spoiled kid, so you don't get that impression about him, you know? I can't. So it's been uh, maybe six years since my last viewing of the 2002 film, uh, so my specific memory of it isn't top-notch, but I do while I was watching while I was watching the the nineteen fifty five version, I kind of kept thinking about that with Def Das and what you know, kind of what a monster he is, and like, wow, did I you know, because I vaguely remember liking Def Das in the two thousand and two film, and I was kind of like, is it just because it's Shahrukh Khan? And I think that that might be part of it. Okay, so I, full disclosure, I love the two thousand and two movie. It's just. Top three, easy for me. I told you about this the other day. I rewatched it after I rewatched this movie and like cried the whole time because it was so beautiful. So that's my bias right now. The reason that I'm bringing it up here is, of course, because I love it, but also because I think among all the different versions of Devdas that have been made, this and the and the 1955 film are the two that have probably been seen by the most people and that have been compared the most. And whereas I feel like the 1955 version is probably largely only known to people on the subcontinent and the diaspora, um, the 2002 version, because it's more recent, I think is much better known to to outsiders, to people who are not to who are not from South Asia or or with origins there. So a lot of like newer fans um, will have seen this movie, and I think it made a pretty big splash. So comparing these two. I just kind of want to comment on the acting because I think Indian movies get characterized as being very melodramatic, and we have talked about melodrama before, so that's kind of another topic, but I viewed them this time one after the other, and I just noticed how much more muted the acting was in the 55 version. Again, it's been a while since I saw the 2002 version, but like I didn't, I felt like it was, it was pretty, pretty, you know, they played it pretty close to the chest, you know? The 2002 version? The No, the 55 version. Oh, okay. I, like, I agree with you. Yeah, totally. That When I was watching the 2002 version, I was like, oh, this is like the stereotypical kind of over-the-top, very emotive kind of acting that, that people think of quite a bit. And that, yeah, I think that had uh, pros and cons. I wanted to talk about, though, how... So these two movies get compared a lot. And even though... The 2002 film was a box office success. It had a lot of detractors. Like a lot, like even just recently when I was doing research for this and I was watching some clips on YouTube, in the comments section, comments from like a couple days before, people were like, oh, the 2002 movie is trash. Sanjay Leela Bansali like ruined this great story. Boss, like people have really strong feelings. Um, Eighteen I, years later, that is impressive. <laughs> no, like totally, you know. And I remember um, talking to my my Hindi uh, instructor in college, and she was like, "Oh, like the new version is garbage," you know. So we both agree we like the 2002 version better. Um, for me, certainly because I've seen it again recently, I'm like, no question. But I think 
this kind of comes back to what we were talking in other podcasts about your expectations going into a movie. So, David, you had kind of said there's a lot of value in exposing yourself organically to something rather than going in thinking, oh, it's going to be like this, right? Having some particular expectation, right? So so for, for us, I guess the advantage was, and for many people maybe in, in the West, going into the 2002 movie, like we don't have the cultural background of the Devdas story. We haven't seen the 1955 movie or any of the other movies. We just kind of went in with a blank slate and we loved it. Whereas everybody else... Um, who had expectations of this is what the story is, this is how it should be, they went in and they saw it and they were like, well, some of the criticisms were, well, it's too gaudy. It's not realistic, right? I talked about how in the 55 version, the sets were all pretty much true to what the situation would have been in real early 20th century Bengal. Whereas if you watch the 2002 version, like the mansions are even bigger, the brothel is like the fanciest brothel you've ever seen. Everything is covered in like shiny surfaces. The costumes are fantastic. Like it's just super, super over the top. Well, yeah, like you had said um, earlier about Bimal Roy taking um, kind of taking cues from Italian neorealism. I feel like that clicked in my head because, and at some point we'll have to start doing these films because they're really remarkable. But if you've seen any of the Roberto Rossellini or Vittorio, uh, Vittorio De Sica films, I think you'll see a lot of similarities with the cinematography. And so I think that's the interesting thing about the 1955 Deftas, uh, having that approach, because I didn't expect it, right? I didn't go into that movie with that expectation. And so that was a pleasant surprise. But again, to your point about the the idea of organic exposure and how we kind of came at it in a totally different direction, I was going in expecting, like, I want the grandest, most epicest, like, saddest, like, the biggest scene, you know, like, the most over-the-top thing, and that totally wasn't it. So, uh, like I said, it take, you kind of have to recalibrate a little bit because you you need to look at that part because that that i mean that's what makes a 2002 film for me i do want to add also that uh the last time i watched a 2002 film i had forgotten most of it so this was this was again like maybe six years ago or something the scene where he like hits her and gives her the scar like i gasped um because he was not i i think to your point like he was a shitty person but that was uh, shocking and and very jarring in tone. I guess I, I wonder just real quick, like what you think, like why leave that element in when so much of those elements of his character had been kind of brought down? I think it's just, it's it was an effort to be true to the novella because a lot of people said that the 2002 version strayed a lot from the story, but from what I can tell, okay, so there's some big exceptions, but it's pretty much the same story. The biggest, the biggest difference to me between the 2002 version and the novella is it's just the settings are totally different. But I think that they felt like that was too important a part of the story to leave out. So something that happens when he hits her, and I can't remember if this was in the 55 version, when he hits her in the 2002 version, he puts it like causes a little gash at the top of the, her forehead and she bleeds and then she kind of falls back and he catches her and then he kind of pushes the blood up into the part of her hair. Um, and that has symbolic value because in Indian weddings, when women get married, there's something, something called Sindur, which is like a red powder that the groom puts on her part to show that she's married to him. Just a point of clarification here, and I don't mean to be pedantic, but I do strive for accuracy when talking, especially about cultures that I'm uh, not a part of. In the podcast, I've referred to Sindur as being an Indian uh, tradition, but to be more accurate, it's really Hindu and I know is also practiced by um, brides in other religious communities, but it's by no means something that is practiced by everybody um, in India or even only by um, people in India. So I just wanted to kind of square that away. Okay, thanks. 
a lot of married women will continue to put that there through throughout their married life, you know? The symbolic value was showing that even though they're not really getting married, they're like married in spirit or something. So the thing is, like, if you perceive him hitting her purely for its symbolic value rather than its kind of superficial, this is obviously abuse interpretation, I see why they left it in there. I'm not saying it's right, but I, like, I get it why that decision was made. I think that's really interesting context because um, I was going to say that that was um, – I suppose uh, when I was speaking to that moment being so shocking, uh, part of it also, like you said, after, I, I hope this isn't too loaded of a term, but in some ways it felt very ritualistic. Uh, whereas in the 1955 version, it was like he was hitting her because, you know. Don't forget me, smack. Right. So in the 2002 version, when he does hit her, it then immediately segues into the song, which accompanies the wedding procession. So I think you're absolutely right that it's almost, it, it is kind of just a, a, a ritual, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess here's my next question. I don't want to detract from the criticisms of the newer movie because, like I said, we're all coming at this from different cultural backgrounds. You and I were not really organically exposed to the 1955 version because we had the expectations set by the 2002 movie, right? Like I, I think I said earlier, I did, I did appreciate the 1955 version better the second time around, but I still don't love it. Since this story has been made and remade so many times over the years... Is it really a fair criticism of Pansali, that's the director of the 2002 movie, is it a fair criticism of him to say that he had some duty to stay true to the novella? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, um, I I get very long-winded and boring about this kind of thing. But like, if you want the original, read the novel. That's as true of this as it is with any adaptation. The thing I remember the most happening with pop culture as I was growing up was the Harry Potter movies. And I remember for pretty much every one of those after after the second, so like starting with Prisoner of Azkaban, there was constantly a chorus of people who were critical because they said that like these portions were left out and that altered our interpretation of the story or like, you know, there's really this pertinent information that you totally miss if you're just watching the movie and that's not acceptable. And they straight here and they straight there. Uh, Again, like I would, I would strongly encourage you to engage with the original material and try to engage with, with remakes, adaptations, whatever on their own terms. So that's not to say that there's, zero expectation right like if you made a movie called devdas and it was you know about an alien or something that would be pretty weird that's complicated otherwise i think part of you know part of the reason remakes and adaptations are interesting is because we can explore different facets of the same story of the same source material uh and I guess kind of, you know, honestly kind of see our, our remake theme month uh, for, for more of our opinions about this. Uh, but I think there's some, there's some really tremendous adaptations that drastically change the source material for the better. And just, you know, as a real quick aside, one of the ones that comes to, to mind is The Shining, the novel by Stephen King and the Stanley Kubrick 1980 film. Uh, which are radically different pieces. And I know Stephen King famously hated the film, and there are a lot of people who have their their allegiances with one or the other, but I, I really enjoyed them both, and I think they have really interesting things to say on their own, and I don't, like, I don't have any problem keeping those two facts in my head. Right, and I also think, as we've talked about with the Disney originals and the Disney remakes of their own movies, if you're just going to do the same thing, I mean, obviously, it's a cash grab on their part, but like, why not just why not just watch the original movie? So, like, for these people who are like, well, the new Devdas isn't true to the story that like the 1955 version is. It's like, well, the 1955 version is still around. You can still show that to your kids. Like, it uh, it, it it it. it Side accompli- note. Yeah. Don't show that to your kids. It's oh, got yeah. a terrible message. <laughs> when, when, when your kids grow up, okay, when they're mature, you know what I mean. <laughs> but like, um, but so you know, it's already been made at least once, where it seems like it's pretty much just like the novella. 
And that was Bimal Roy's kind of contribution to the story. Let people do other stuff with it. I guess you don't have to like it, but as to me, like there's other things you can criticize the 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 Pansali film about that are not. Oh, it's not like the novella, you know. And honestly, I, I think part of it is, and again, we did talk about this a lot with with kind of the Lion King remake and everything. Part of it is is that I think once you release something that's uh, creatively successful, financially successful, uh, I think we as audience members begin to feel a sense of ownership over the work. I know I do. I know I have that relationship with some films. We feel the sense that it's like, no, we had this one specific experience. And if you're going to do something, you need to recreate that for us. Uh, And honestly, I think the best thing each one of us can do is let that go, right? Like let our emotions be attached to one particular thing and open open ourselves up for new experiences, even if it's with familiar familiar material. Um, one one little thing I wanted to add that was about a a, a difference between the newer movie and the older movie was maybe the assumption of how familiar audiences would be with certain cultural conven- conventions. So in the 1955 version, when Pado goes to her husband's family, like I said, I thought like the husband, he's like an old fart, but like he's really nice and her stepkids are really nice. Like they're really nice, right? She's not happy for other reasons. But then in the 2002 version, everybody's, some of them are nice, but the husband is really cold. And in the story, they discover that she... Uh, a couple things. They discover that she has made friends with Chandramukhi, which was a big de- departure from the original movie. And they discover that she has like an, an obsession with Devdas. And that makes her in-laws very angry with her in the new movie. But in the old movie, they have no idea about this. And I was kind of like, why did they change that? And I realized that in the 1955 version, when Devdas is dying in front of the mansion, right? She runs out of the house and is trying to get through the door to through the gate to meet him. And the and the whole family who has no idea about him at all are trying to stop her. And they're like, she's lost her mind. What why is she doing this? And the reason um, that they would stop her without knowing the situation is that uh, she was in Purda, which is uh, a convention in some parts of India that still exists in some places today where women were supposed to be kind of separated from the rest of society in different aspects. And it could be in terms of what kind of clothing they can wear around other people or just where they can be in space. And so by her racing out of the house and out of the gate, she was breaking purdah because she was basically going into public. And that was something that was, again, going back to like Bengali social conventions of the time and the place, that was something she was not supposed to do. And that's why they tried to stop her. In the 2002 movie, maybe thinking that uh, modern audiences wouldn't be familiar with that kind of cultural convention because it has subsided in a lot of places. It was like they had to make a reason for her in-laws to stop her from leaving the house. And so that's why they got to find out about her background with Dave Das and making friends with the courtesan and all this other stuff. David, did you have any... I guess, do you have any final thoughts on this film? And to what extent do you think this even fits our category of romance this month? Well, I guess in in the most broad sense, if we're to speak about romance films as being films that are about a relationship, uh, it's clearly that. I think if you're kind of looking for something that is specifically romantic in a kind of um this is a terrible example but like a you've got mail kind of way i don't know i think that movie's cute uh this is definitely not that i guess kind of to to wrap it up a little bit so we did we talked a lot about about kind of the the inherent misogyny in this film and and i know you referenced uh the slut shaming i don't i just want to say like i i think this is a very interesting film in a lot of ways. And I think it's a good watch for cinephiles or if you're, you know, you're interested in Indian film, but I, I do think it's, um, it's, it's a difficult watch. Uh, there are a lot of, a lot of parts of this that are, that are very difficult to get through. And so I think definitely keep that kind of keep that in mind. Uh, if you're going into this, 
uh, it's not, it's not the easiest thing. And also since we're, you know, middle of COVID and the world is burning and, and if you're looking for something that's nice and relaxing and, and like kind of, I guess what I was getting at kind of like a nice, pleasant tear jerker that you can move on from. This is not your movie. Oh yeah. Very true. This has to be a very purposeful, like I'm going to watch this movie to get X, Y, Z out of it. Um, well today then I guess I'd like to go ahead and thank my sources. We have of course, um, Wikipedia and then we also have Amit Upadhyay at The Print and uh, Dinesh Raheja at Rediff. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at Mayday Matinee on Twitter. We're Maybe Today Matinee on Instagram and Facebook. And Maybe Today Matinee at gmail.com if you would like to email us. Check in next week for the 1972 movie Solaris. I'm Monica. I'm David. And this is Maybe Today Matinee.